0: Please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode.
1: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 181, Gen Con Awards. 2018 edition. We'd like to thank all of our Patreons for helping us bring you an ad free episode.
0: You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip syncing. Find out more at dicetowernetwork.com.
1: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And from an undisclosed location outside of Indianapolis in a small hotel room, doing our best to deal with the echoes and the editing, we are here on the Monday after Gen Con 2018 to tell you about all of the great things that happen, all of the fun, all of the excitement, all of the new releases, and... The intense,
0: extreme sleep that we need to have as soon as possible. Yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like we've done this before. We recorded right after the con, and people are like, you guys sound tired. <laughs> yes, have you been to a convention? We are tired. But in a good way, in a good way. It's, it's like, uh, it's that special kind of tired you get when you've done something really fun. So.
1: Yes, it's very much an epic journey to walk the halls for four days straight, And to meet all the great people, to see all the great games, to talk to all of you, our listeners, who came up to us in each and every location. We're so grateful to having met you, having gotten a chance to see your games, being able to sit down with you. It's really the best part of podcasting. There is so much to cover here. And in fact, our Gen Con coverage won't be just one day. Anthony and I picked up a large number of games. And we will be covering all of those games over the next several weeks, probably all the way up until PAX Unplugged. So stick with us. If you didn't hear the game that you wanted to hear a review about or some information about, I guarantee you that it'll be coming out each and every week. As always, we have two podcasts coming out a week. In addition to that, we have articles on our website, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Don't forget, we have our YouTube channel, if that's the best way to listen to us, especially if you want to listen to us at one and a half times speed. That's always a really good place to go for that. And of course, we could not do these episodes ad-free without the support of our Patreon backers. Thank you for all of your support. It's been great and helpful. And of course, patreon.com backslash bga. You can find more additional episodes there, so check us out over there. All right, Anthony, there is so much to talk about here. I guess we should start off with probably what's the question of the week or the question of the con, what people were asking us on Facebook. Why don't you take it away?
0: Yeah, so uh, we do this all the time. You guys know the drill. But I posted a question on Facebook and I asked everybody, what do you guys want us to talk about uh, when we do this episode? And got a few good questions in there. Kyle asked about Key Forge, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Uh, it's one of the big announcements from Fantasy Flight. Um, but most people asked us about what hidden gems we saw or what games we played, regardless of whether they were good or not, which I always thought was a funny question. Um, and so that's kind of what we're going to do. But just up front so you guys understand, we don't play a ton of Gen Con. <laughs> like, we try to. We see a lot of five- and ten-minute demos, and we're going to talk about a lot of those games that we saw, like, real quick run-throughs of, games that we're interested in. But actually sitting down and getting to play a game there's a reason there's no At The Table this week. We demoed dozens of games, and we're bringing home possibly more than that, but we have not played any of them yet. So stay with us, because
1: all of the upcoming At The Tables will possibly, if not absolutely, be Gen Con releases. So those will be coming up to you pretty quick and fast. So Anthony, everyone was asking about Gen Con Gen Con 2018, it seems like every year it gets a little bit bigger and a little more chaotic and a little more crazy. Uh, how was your experience?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a funny thing because it does always feel bigger and crazier and more, but this year was our fourth year, so we've done this a few times. We have a bit of a routine now. We know where everything is. We know where to eat. Um, we know when to get to bed so we're not just completely destroyed the next day. And we also... Last year had Gen Con 50, which was just crazy. Everybody was excited, and it was big, and there was more people than ever before. So I'm not going to say this year felt smaller. It felt roughly the same, but it certainly didn't feel bigger, right? Sure. I think there was a little bit generally
1: less buzz. People were there. They were excited when they were there at the con. But it didn't have the typical epic feel that Gen Con put on last year. So, And I think we heard that from a lot of people across the board.
0: Yeah, and that's that's natural. When you have like a 50th anniversary, the next year is going to feel like a letdown, even though it's just as big and epic as ever. Yeah. Um, you know, they still had everything in the stadium. They still were overflowing everything. The the halls were still packed to the point where you couldn't move on Saturday and Sunday. So, like, it is the Gen Con you know and love. And I think part of it, too, is there was no, like, epic gaming release where everybody was, like, bum-rushing a single booth and breaking things down to get it that we've sure. had in previous years. There was a few games that were, like, really hot. Um, And there were a lot of lines, but there wasn't that one thing that literally everybody in the hall wanted. Yeah, if there was anything truly epic about
1: the convention was the lines. Yeah. Yeah. So, Will call picking up your tickets, picking up your pass for the very first day and second day. Those were the longest lines that anyone has ever seen. They went not only the extent of the convention center, but they went outside the convention center, around the building, down the street... Under the underpass. And that kind of held more or less the same for two days. So that was probably the most
0: epic thing about Gen Con. And thankfully the weather held for those couple days. Because by the weekend it was 95 degrees. But when people were waiting in those lines, it was like 80-something. At least they weren't standing in like ridiculous heat waiting for their tickets. Sure. Gen Con puts on a great show and they held everything together. The
1: lines, as we said, were pretty insane. And a lot of people were excited about board gaming in the area too. So it's nice to see that the hobby's growing. Everybody we talked to was really excited about what they were seeing. A lot of different people were coming and buying games. And a lot of new people were interested in a lot of different types of stuff. So small publishers, big publishers, everyone enjoyed the convention. Everyone had a good time. Everyone was selling out of pretty much everything. And everyone that we talked to was even excited about PAX Unplugged in a way that we were surprised to hear about, too.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it's uh, that's apparently the next big, hot convention. So that's our next big, hot convention, <laughs> the rest of everybody. Um, but yeah, it was a really cool con. And it's, you know, Gen Con's the big working con for a lot of people. Yes. So And we're generally working in that we're talking to publishers, going around doing interviews and stuff. So it's... Uh, we don't always get a full sense of the buzz of like the players and the gamers and everything. But I, I think in general everybody was having a good time and it was you know, it's Gen Con. How can yeah, you not have fun?
1: It's true. It's when you come to Gen Con, it's one of those kinds of experiences that you feel like you need to be there, whether you're a publisher or you're a designer or your press or even if you're a gamer, a lot of gamers have come up to me over the years and say, you know, where should I go? Like, well, I would recommend going to Gen Con because it's such a grand experience. The only downside tends to be You can't possibly do everything. Or you can't even do most of everything. It's just too big. It's just too far to get to everywhere. Housing is still a big, big problem down here. So totally recommend Gen Con. Pick an experience. Do True Dungeon. Do the game tables. Do the the vendor hall. It takes several days to go through. (laughs) Uh, Everything's great. But in general, probably the best of all was all the fans of Gen Con... Really a great experience, you know, cramped area, hot weather, and everyone was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Anthony, so let's actually get into some of the games that
0: we saw and uh, what people can expect to see at the table coming up. Yeah, yeah. So what we wanted to do is we wanted to run through some of the games that we saw or demoed or got a quick spiel on that seemed interesting, but that we did not bring home because they are not yet published. So these are kind of our future acquisition disorders. Some of these games we got a chance to see a little bit more of than others, and we'll let you know which ones, but, and some of them are coming up real soon, so you'll get a chance to see them yourself. Uh, but uh, some interesting stuff in here. So, of course, the first thing on my list that, and I just saw this yesterday, I didn't even know it was there, but they don't advertise anything because it's asthma day, <laughs> is the new Days of Wonder game, The River. Um, they had a couple of tables set up and they were demoing it, and it, you know it looks like your typical Days of Wonder game. Beautiful artwork, fantastic production quality. And it looked pretty close to done, honestly. Um, I didn't get a chance to sit down on a demo. There was a lot of people waiting around, but I did hover over them for a few minutes and got a, a sense of the game in terms of moving things up and down this river. So um, that's something to keep an eye on. It looks like it's almost done. I don't know what that means in terms of release dates because we're talking about Asmodee now and they carefully plan these things, um, but presumably in the next six months or so.
1: Yeah, and on top of which, if you didn't hear, Asmodee's holding company got purchased And the CEO is no longer there. He's gone on to spend more time with his family. So there may be some upcoming changes. There'll definitely be some upcoming announcements probably the next six months or so. I'm sure that the things that are in the pipeline, we will still see in the pipeline. But I wouldn't be surprised to see a hiccup along the way. Days of Wonder have always done fantastic games. I really love those
0: games. And typically when you pick up a Days of Wonder game, you're picking up a great game. So nice to see. Yeah, and it's been a little over a year since their last one, so it's, it's they're due. All right, uh, next up, we had a few Simon games. Um, the Simon booth is always fun because they have a lot of new stuff, and this year was no different. They had Newton was there, uh, which sold out in like five minutes every day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gizmos was huge; they brought a ton of copies of that. Um, they had the Railroad Ink games; people were buzzing for those. But the one, the fr- the big one that they were really pushing uh, was the Song of Fire and Ice, or the Song of Ice and Fire. I'm sorry, I us get that backwards. Um, miniatures game. And so this was kickstarted last year and they finally had it for sale. Big, huge $150 box. And it's Starks versus Lannisters and we talked about this before that we're not that excited about another Stark versus Lannister situation. But they had some pretty cool stuff in the case, right?
1: Yeah, I was shocked and kind of blown away by the other factions that they're coming out with because typically when you see these miniature types games they play it very, very safe and it's like Generic faction versus the other generic faction. And then later on, here's another generic faction and another one. But in the case, the ones that really blew us away and that are coming up soon is the Free Folk, which are the people who live north of the Wall. And you actually have, I I guess we we would still call them miniatures, but nonetheless, they're giants (laughs) that you can put into play. And then the Night's Watch, so that the men who guard the Wall themselves are a playable faction, and that's pretty surprising to see those two factions actually in play here. But that's probably really going to pump this game up really big once
0: it hits the table. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be awesome. And this is a game we actually managed to get a copy of, so we will be reviewing the starter set sometime in the next few weeks um, before those other expansions hit.
1: Yeah, so if you're a huge Game of Thrones fan, you're going to love it. If you're a miniatures game fan, this is might be something you might be interested in. And if you never got into uh, miniatures gaming, stay with us because this might be something you're interested in.
0: For sure. Um, next one up was the new Eric Lane game. He's been talking about this for a while, and this is Victorian Masterminds. So we got a chance to play this, um, and we played a shortened version of the game, and uh, one of us scored points. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was playing by the,
1: the golf score rules. you know?
0: Oh, then you destroyed us all. <laughs> I did. I, I
1: didn't want to kind of rub in your face when I scored zero points for every round and then came in with a total of zero but i am pretty proud of myself i'll have to say you know yeah yeah i mean to
0: be fair it was only like a third of the game so (laughs) you would have scored points eventually (laughs) um it's a very very simple game there's multiple locations and you're placing these i guess worker chips they're shaped like gears each of them has a special ability on them and then you stack them face down you flip them over when there's three and you run through and and see what happens the the trick here is one of them is a spy that will sabotage the next one in line and i think that happened to you like four times it did it happened pretty much the entire game and that's in some ways
1: you can kind of mitigate that but honestly it's pretty pretty random because you don't know what someone's placing down and probably the best thing about this game is it's fantastic looking the gears are nice and big and chunky it actually has all of these famous landmarks that you'll be able to pick up on your kind of capers so this looks to be an outstanding production. Didn't get to play the full game, so can't you know say as far as is it a good game? But hopefully, in the future, when we get a copy of this, we'll be able to let you know.
0: Yeah. Um, another one here from Simon uh, is a game actually hitting Kickstarter at the end of this month, and that's Arcadia Quest. So when this was first announced, we were interested to see whether it would be significantly different than Arcadia Quest. Uh, it's in space, but that's all we knew at the time, and. I don't know, it, it didn't seem that different, right?
1: Yeah, from what we can tell, and what we were told when we kind of, like, oversaw a demo here, it seems to be just like Arcadia Quest, but instead of these huge kind of scenarios that are in the book, there are these cards that kind of help play out the scenarios and lead you to opportunities where you can kind of score points and such. Dimensions are amazing. Once again, it's Simon, so why would you expect anything else? And it's that chibi kind of style again, but it's in space at this point. So we got to see kind of a small version of this. Kind of hard when you know you're at the point where you're pretty heavily invested in Arcadia Quest, but I'm a big sci-fi fan, so this is going to be hard to kind of ignore. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, we're going to back it. Just, <laughs> is it worth it? I don't know. We're
0: going to back it.
1: Well, that's why it's our section of acquisition disorders because clearly we have a problem here. Yeah, yeah.
0: That's a, that's a good example. Um, Next one on the list here, and this is a, a, another great acquisition disorder, is Battlestar Galactica, the uh, flight path system game from Ares Games. They're getting into the sci-fi action. They've been doing Wings of Glory and Sails of Glory for years and years and years. And then they have the Tripods and uh, Triplanes yeah. game that uh, they kickstarted not too long ago. It's coming out here by the end of the year. So this is a new I mean, it's the same system, but it had a lot of new mechanics in it, right?
1: Yeah, especially there was this momentum system. So if, if you've ever watched Battlestar Galactica or more of the hard science, realistic sci-fi, quote-unquote, like maybe Babylon 5, when a ship is flying in space, it's building up momentum, and it just doesn't stop and turn automatically. It has to deal with the momentum. So in this flight pass system, they've added momentum as something you can play with, not to mention the direction of your ship. So you could actually be flying in one direction and yet turn your ship sideways and be able to shoot in that direction. And there's also some elements as far as working on an x-axis. So you could have an asteroid above and below you and kind of work with that as well. And really that's the core of the show. If you're an old school Battlestar Galactica fan, you probably didn't see too much of that because... They were kind of following Lucas Arts light and magic kind of way of like old biplanes kind of swooping in and out as if they were in an atmosphere. But the new Battlestar Galactica really did play with hard science there. So it added a lot more realism to the game and a lot more fun. So this will probably be the flight system game for people who are looking to take it to the next step. There's going to be a lot more with Ares games that we'll talk about in future episodes. And this is something to keep an eye out for.
0: Awesome. Uh, another space game here, uh, based on an old property that we both love, was Robotech. Attack on the SOF1. Uh, this is from Japanime Games, and if if you were at Gen Con and you were in their booth, you saw the giant cardboard mech. Yes. Uh, this looks like probably something that's going to take their company to a whole
1: new level. You probably know quarry and a lot of their other kind of princess Japanime games, but... Robotech here has been around for a while and there's there's been a couple of games that we've seen they've typically been small this is not a small game this has a lot of elements of once again it's a little ironic here but Battlestar Galactica the board game where basically you're sending your different crew members around and then they are activating certain systems they are sending out fighters to deal with all of the intruders that are coming in and you're actually able to turn your ship to kind of deal with the attackers And then at certain points, based upon what you're able to do, you'll be able to kind of go full mech with your ship and then take this giant cardboard, once again, it's not even a miniature, and put it on the board with all of its guns kind of blazing out and be able to fire all of your beams out and take out a whole wave of ships. There are also actual miniatures in this game too,
0: along with some standees. Awesome. Um, next on the list here is a game I got to check out um, quick demo of it's Imaginarium this is a new game from Bruno Cathala and it's not being published in the US yet but they said they're working on it Um, I think there was a Kickstarter at one point right there
1: was and and it fell through and people were a little upset because some of the issues is they don't have a US distributor and I don't know why we've actually covered this game I've covered this game on a previous acquisition disorder because it looks fantastic and it's basically a Euro game using this kind of steampunk once again Imaginarium kind of features here and it's something you definitely want to play if you do get a chance to get it but getting it is really really hard and you kind of have to get a ship from Europe
0: yeah yeah and it's like mechanically it seems very interesting it's resource management to some degree but you're purchasing these different cards it upgrades your ability to convert resources the artwork like you said is just it's spectacular but also crazy think like Terry Terry Gilliam in Brazil or something absolutely It's, it's outlandish and I really want to see a US version of this game at some point Next on the list here was a game that we heard they barely got in time for people to take a look at over at Gray Fox Games, that's City of Gears. We actually spoke to them about this, I think, on Thursday or Friday, and they were like hand-cutting a copy before they actually got their um, first production copy in on Saturday. But I'm glad they did because it looked really, really cool, right? Yeah, this was
1: fantastic. The board itself and how the kind of pieces lock in really is something I haven't seen in board gaming before. Typically, when you put a board down, unless it's like a legacy game, it's just going to stay kind of rigid and not really do much of anything. This really adds an extra dimension. Yeah, yeah, it
0: looks really interesting. Um, Another board that looked incredibly interesting, and I don't even know how to wrap my head around what it is, is Titan. This is a game from Holy Grail Games, and it's coming to Kickstarter in 2019. So I think they have another Kickstarter coming before that, which we're actually going to talk about in a later episode. Um, But this one just this giant round concentric board with like tiers on it uh did not get a chance to play this unfortunately there's always a lot of people crowded around it but this will almost certainly be buzzworthy when it hits kickstarter because people are just going to want to know what's going on with that board yeah and we just saw a prototype copy so it wasn't even the
1: final components or the final board and it was just so very interesting it basically looks like a stadium and what we heard about it it has like some elements of almost like the movie WALL-E where you have these kind of little bots and being able to kind of activate them and move them around the board so this is something
0: if you're looking about for a hidden gem this is probably where you're looking yep um Mm -hmm. Mezos this is Colossal Games they were releasing their uh Western Legends game and so they were showing this one off that's going to be hitting Kickstarter I believe later this year It's an area control game with the Mayan mythology. Uh, So all the different gods and the giant miniatures they had in this case. Mm -hmm. So think, it seems like the kind of game along the lines of like a Kemet or a Rising Sun or a Blood Rage where you're using mythology and these different gods. They run across the board and you're trying to manage things. They didn't really have it set up to demo, but it looked really interesting.
1: Yeah, it seemed very similar, at least miniature-wise, to Blood Rage and Rising Sun. And, and, And that's basically how they were describing it to people and
0: that's not necessarily a bad way to go yeah for sure crusader kings we got a chance to check out the a pair of games actually from paradox interactive and this was the first of the two it was already on kickstarter um a couple months ago so this was a much finer prototype that we got a chance to play but very much in line with the crusader kings video games if you played those in which you are one of the kings of Europe, you are trying to marry and build out a family and make sure you have an heir and succession and play a bunch of cards that hurt everybody around you.
1: Yeah, it was really fun because when you take an action to do a thing, it almost always helps your opponents. Mm-hmm. And that was fun. And being able to get married and have kids, that was interesting. You've seen that in other games, but having those family members have certain qualities about them that you add to like a bag-building element that you'll pull later throughout the game to be able to accomplish certain tasks was a lot of fun. So it's very positive or negative, but sometimes you actually want the
0: negative because when you go into battle, negative kind of helps you out. But uh, very thematic here. Yeah, absolutely. Next is a game from uh, Fantasy Flight Games. We didn't actually expect this, um, although I did joke a little bit about them releasing a new Game of Thrones game because the new season coming out next year. But they are releasing an expansion for the Game of Thrones board game, Mother of Dragons, which adds a new sideboard or is it a completely new map? I think it's a completely new map if you have the original it's adding it's just adding Esso, so it's adding the kind
1: of eastern continent here and it's going to allow you to play with more players. Obviously you get to play, you know, out the story of Song of Fire because now they're coming across the waters. There's some balancing elements put in here in this game. You can obviously play with more players. So this is really great to see. Once again, still need a high player count to really enjoy this at the height of what it wants to be able to do, but
0: still a great game. Absolutely. A um, couple of games from Plaid Hat that were announced before the show, but we got a chance to check them out. Uh, first up was Comanauts. This is the slightly more grown-up take on the adventure book series. Mm-hmm. So we had Stuff Fables, which I love. It's one of my favorite games from the last year for the kids. Uh, and now we have Comanauts, which is a game using the same adventure book system, so you're playing out stuff on the book itself, which is a very cool mechanism, uh, but with an, a much more grown-up kind of take on um, the actual gameplay. Yeah, and if this is if this is not connected to Stuff Fables, I will be shocked. I know, we joked about this. Like, the person in the coma needs to be the little girl from the other game, and then the, the stuffies will show up halfway through the book. That'd be great. Yeah. Uh, Gen 7 was the other one, and this is a game we've been waiting for for years, right? Yes. I mean, ever since the first Dead of Winter came
1: out and they were like oh there's going to be other ones of this and one's going to be sci-fi we're like just waiting and waiting waiting just kind of like being really upset in fact that it hadn't come out yet we just kept setting you know expansions for Dead of Winter which are fine Dead of Winter is a great game
0: but now it's finally out at least to demo yeah yeah the big thing about this game though is it's $100 and doing the demo I'm not really sure where that comes in
1: Yeah, I think the stakes are a little bit kind of tampered down a little bit. Maybe because it's more sci-fi based. They were kind of concerned people wouldn't be able to follow it. But basically, you're a team and you're trying to kind of go towards your own goal, which at least how they explained it through the demo was about your own promotion. But obviously, there are tasks that you have to complete as a team. So you're cooperating, but you're still trying to kind of move up the corporate ladder, so to speak. I'm sure there's going to be other twists and turns that are in the scenarios that we just haven't seen yet. Maybe there's an alien race that pops up or some craziness that happens later in the game. Obviously, the $100 price tag is focused towards the writing. And writing and mechanics are two things Anthony and I will always pay for. But not knowing where the writing's going
0: is a little concerning because it is a $100 price tag. Yeah, definitely need to see more of this. Yep. The The next one here was... Uh, on a expected, of course. But last year, we had Bob Ross' The Art of Chill. Absolutely, man. It was a unexpected hit at Gen Con. People it's were hunting down. It's a happy little game, man. So happy. Uh, and so the developers behind that released three new games this year, one of which was Home Alone. Which was described to us as quote, Netrunner for babies. Can
1: you imagine Netrunner for babies is kind of hidden in a Home Alone game? But in fact... We took this from a very reliable source and we're kind of really surprised and kind of glad because you don't want any game, no matter what the IP happens to be, to be a throwaway game. You want all of these designer games to be good. And I think we saw a part of that. There was also the cereal monster game that came with a box of cereal. Unfortunately, the boxes of cereal ran out, but it's nice to see that these kind of lighter family games are undertaking
0: really high-quality mechanics. Absolutely, yeah. Definitely like to see this kind of stuff like in a Target. Yes. All right, and then the last one here, which seemed to be sweeping everybody, and we joked about it a little bit as Cthulhu Kerplunk, but (laughs) it definitely has table presence, and people are all about it. Uh, That is Tower of Madness from our buddy Kurt at Smirk and Dagger.
1: Yeah, this was impossible to ignore probably because cthulhu wants it that way (laughs) and you have this great kind of dark tower with these cthulhu green neon tentacles sticking out and you're plucking it up man so if you want to have a night
0: of madness with people who are not heavy board gamers this actually might work for you absolutely all right so that is just kind of a sampling of everything we've got to look at i have probably a few hundred photos on my camera all the stuff you guys saw on Facebook Chris was posting every single day a couple hundred photos there of different games we saw and got a chance to run through I'll be doing a longer write-up that includes a few more games um, that either we're not remembering right now or that we didn't get a chance to go into in-depth enough to talk about here
1: yeah we were running the entire convention our feet are extremely sore so <laughs> we didn't have a lot of time to stop and kind of give additional information but all of the photos up there Please get, get a chance to go on Facebook and if you have any questions about any of those photos there, we are now sitting for ones and we'd be happy to kind of explain what those photos were. I know some people have asked and we've already responded to some of those photos and obviously as the weeks go, we will have more of our episodes geared towards the Gen Con releases in our regular format, super bad as far as having the best stuff at the table the most, you know, addictive games possible that you definitely want to pick up.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, just kind of a preview of some upcoming reviews and keep in mind not all these will be on the podcast. Some of these will be written on the website, boardgamersanonymous.com. There's a couple in here I probably make videos of, especially if the components really just need to be seen. Um, but there's a lot of stuff here. So, yeah, so for
1: our at the table this week, it's not games necessarily that are at our table right now because as I said earlier, are at the tables a little tiny table in a hotel room? So these are our at the table upcoming games.
0: Yeah, preview. Woohoo! Yeah, it's, it's like that special preview episode you get of the cartoons. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Saturday morning, you're like, woo! And your parents are like, why are you watching this really long commercial? So, first up on the list here, we had Master of the Galaxy. This is from Ares Games, right? Yeah, this is a game that's a, an abstracted form of
1: Twilight Imperium 4. So, Anthony, I'm really excited about this. We already talked about this from Origins as being one of our highly anticipated releases. And it was in, you know, big form down there at Ares Booth. Everyone was picking it up. So this will
0: definitely be one of our upcoming games. Absolutely. Uh, another one that I was surprised that I was interested in is Talisman Legendary Tales from Pegasus Beale. This is a slimmed-down cooperative take on Talisman. So much simpler looking board. And it seems to be relatively short, which doesn't really go with Talisman. So sure. I'm excited to see how this plays out.
1: Yeah, and I really like the production here. It's it's not just kind of like a slimmed down old version. This is brand new boards, brand new pieces, brand new characters kind of
0: interplay here. And uh, this is something that's definitely going to get to the table. Absolutely. Uh pair of games from Simon we mentioned earlier, Railroad Inc., which we did actually get a chance to play. Yes. Because it was short. <laughs> One of these game nights. I'm gonna play a little bit more. I got both versions blue and red and uh, see how those play out. And then Newton, the new Simone Luciani game that was an in incredibly limited supply. So this is probably gonna be near the top of my list to play when I get home. Next up on the list is the pair of games coming from Stonemeyer games. We both picked up Rise of Fenris. yes. So that'll be an epic undertaking, getting through that campaign, but I think we're both eager to do so, right?
1: Yeah, so all my game groups out in Philadelphia, New Jersey, and New York City, be warned, I will be coming for you to sit down and play (laughs) yet another amazing Stegmire collection of legacy games here. And I picked up the big box, and I'll be getting my hands on the Broken Token insert. So there are going to be upcoming reviews about all of the different pieces leading up to... What probably will be the completion of Scythe, from what we know, at least up at this point. It's been a great ride, and we were with Scythe way, way, way back in the beginning. You can listen back when I kind of predicted this was going to be huge. It was going to hit 1.8. It was going to be the biggest thing on Kickstarter, and Drew doubted me. And yet, here we are today, still kind of like talking about the hotness of Scythe.
0: Absolutely. And which, of course, I have to cover my little Scythe, because... It's more scythe, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I was I was on the fence about this one, but I've seen enough, I've heard enough, got a chance to check out you know people playing this at uh, the Stonemeyer game nights here at Gen Con. Very excited about this to, to show it to my kids, and honestly, I want to play it myself.
1: So. Yeah, it was really exciting, and everybody was really excited to play at the table. We got a chance to uh, talk to our friend Jamie Stegmeyer over there at his little convention area within the hotel. And people were having a ball with this game. And I'm just really jealous I didn't get a chance to sit down and play with
0: myself. So good, good times there. Absolutely. Um, Yellow and Yangtze, this is the new updated version of Tigris and Euphrates. Um, we'll find out if it's an update or a spiritual successor. Sure. It's hard to tell thus far, but uh, beautiful artwork from Vitz Detroit. And that's, that's what we know right now. But I'm excited to play it. Yep. Other than it just sold out, which was yeah exactly <laughs> crazy. Yeah, that, I had it pre-ordered, and I'm glad I did because it was gone pretty quickly. Uh, Detective, the new game from Portal Games. This one also sold out pretty quickly. Um, big, epic, cooperative game. Haven't had a chance to play it yet, but pretty excited to give it a go. Uh, Roots was probably the game of the show, at least in terms of sales. Yes. everybody had a copy. Everybody was playing it in their hotels. Uh, it kickstarted, so a lot of people already had it. But even still, it was it was everywhere.
1: Yeah, and, and the funny thing was as you're walking around the convention hall and people are walking by you, the most of the conversations were kind of for I guess for lack of a better pun rooted around the <laughs> fact that they couldn't get root or that I like people were walking by and they're like and they didn't mention root but they just said I kept going by there and all they had was their t-shirts and their <laughs> raccoon
0: dolls and I was like, "Ah, yes, Root, I get that." Yeah, they had a tiny little booth, and I guess what it was is every day they'd pack as much as they could into the booth, but you're not allowed to restock during the day because you can't bring a pallet in. So they'd empty it out, and it would be gone in a couple hours, sure. and then it would be gone for the rest of the day. But they brought like four or five pallets, and they sold them all. Yep. Um, Brass, Birmingham. So this is a Kickstarter. I uh, got a chance to pick this one up. This is the updated version. Lancashire is the now old version for those who can remember the two, which I can't, but I wrote it down, so now I know. <laughs> um, so looking forward to trying this out. out. Uh, Spring Meadow is the third game in the Puzzle Trilogy from Uwe Rosenberg, so excited for this one, because I like the other two. Yeah, and that came out
1: from Stronghold Games, so it was good to see uh, another Uwe game came out there, and just, I guess we should just briefly mention there was a little bit of news, I guess inside baseball news, but Stronghold merged with indie board and card games, and that is all currently kind of being cessed out at the moment, so there might be some changes with Stronghold, some changes with indie Boarding Board and Cards, some new leadership, but we'll follow up and let you know more about it later.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Gizmos, we both got a copy of this from Simon. This was pretty buzzed about before the show. Didn't actually see a lot of people playing it just yet, but they had a lot of copies, so I know there's a lot floating around out there. Um, it's a new um, marble-based kind of game from <laughs> Phil Walker-Harding. And so it gets that potion explosion feel, although not nearly as many marbles. It looks like uh, Simon's adding a new mechanic to yeah. board gaming. It's like,
1: yes, but is it marble based? <laughs> I'm like,
0: really? Yes. We have miniatures, we have marbles, we have cardboard. That's right. Wendake is a, uh, a Euro that was on Kickstarter last year, I think. And so that was released by Renegade Games. I picked up a copy of that, as well as Petrocore, another Kickstarter game um, that we didn't yet get a chance to play from Ape Games. War Chest was a new release from AEG that they sold out of. A lot of copies and looking forward to this one. It's big, meaty poker chips. Um, Looks relatively abstract, but that's right in my wheelhouse. Feudum is uh, another Kickstarter game. Uh, Chris, you got a chance to pick that one up?
1: Yeah, and I'm looking forward to taking the under challenge of playing Feudum with all of its expansions. So for my friend Alec out there, get ready. We are going to be playing an epic game of
0: Feudum. We're going to break the game pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see what we do. Uh, Everdell is a beautiful game. Beautiful artwork. Fantastic looking game. Has a big 3D tree. One of the best table presences of the con. Uh, Chris, you got a chance to pick this one up as well, right? Yeah, I'm
1: looking forward to getting this table. I know it's going to bring a lot of the gateway gamers into the hobby. Especially, as you said, the table presence isn't
0: great, but it actually has some really nice mechanics. Absolutely. Rise of Tribes is another very pretty game. So this is a, a civilization game, kind of boiled down. Takes about an hour. Uh, from Breaking Games. And this was another very hot game at the con. They brought a lot of copies and they sold a lot of copies. They so you did. saw it everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, sword Crafters is not one of the big buzzed about games, but it definitely had table presence. You are building a three dimensional sword in the game through Euro style mechanics. Looks fantastic. Really excited to play this.
1: Yeah, it's got some abstract kind of components where you're just trying to meet
0: certain kind of conditions and looks like a lot of fun. Absolutely. Warsaw City of Ruins had a preview at Origins. We did not get a chance to pick that up because it sold out there, but we do have it now. Uh, This is a new one from North Star Games, so um, definitely going to play that soon. Yep. And then The Big Score. uh, This is from Van Ryder Games. It was on Kickstarter not too long ago. They released it here at Gen Con, and it is a uh, a game about, I guess, a bank robbery, and it has a a solo mode in there, so you know you're going to hear about it probably in multiple places. Okay. So
1: that's all the games that we're going to be talking about at Upcoming at the Tables. Let's get on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about the Gen Con Awards, the things that really stuck out for the Gen Con convention. Obviously, this is not a formal episode, but we want to let you know about the really big hits and misses from the convention and really the kind of highlights that you may not see on your standard Twitter feed. All right, Anthony, there was so many great things to see. Obviously, it was great to see everyone there. We talked about that earlier, especially all the listeners that came up to us. Can't thank you enough. You know, it's when you have all of this large listener base and you guys are out there, you send comments, you back us on Patreon, it's such a tremendous experience and tens of thousands of you listening and then to get to see you just walking by at the convention, or especially when we got to see one of our listeners at the Lucas Oil Stadium. Yeah. And here it is like 11, 12 o'clock at night, and we're just walking through, taking a look, and it's like, hey, it's BGA, I know you guys. And we're talking about, he had some great experiences, played TI4 in the stadium. He got to win a game of X-Wing miniatures during the trench run, which was fantastic. You'll see a picture of that there, so... Really great. I mean, that's probably the highlight for us as far as the convention because we do this podcast for you, and we really love you guys so much. So thank you all for that. But there was some other stuff there to see. So Anthony, that was probably the most highlight, and the biggest award goes out to our listeners. What was? Give us a low light
0: here. A low light. All right. So every industry has this moment. You wonder if it's jumped the shark, uh, and I think we might be there. And okay. Nobody wants to be there because we all love this industry, but. Within 100 yards of each other, we had a Cthulhu the size of my daughter. <laughs> that, for all intents and purposes, is a statue, not a miniature. Um, so, Simon had a couple of copies of their giant Cthulhu from the recent Kickstarter. And then Fantasy Flight announced a Super Star Destroyer for their Armada game. And they actually had a copy in the case as well. And it is a $200. So, they out Simon to Simon. Because that's only $150. It's a $200 miniature of the Super Star Destroyer from Return of the Jedi. I just... I know they'll sell these, but why?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess it's just like sometimes you just need to have something ridiculous to draw attention to the other stuff. But this is a really big piece that's going to be part of Star Wars Armada. I've been talking about years. Just get over it and do this Death Star. Yes! Just just do the Death Star. (laughs) Because I don't know what you guys are doing. You're really like... Being very coy about it, just jump to shark completely and do the Death Star.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's so much money. I don't. We made fun of Armada, not even Armada. I think we made fun of the epic ships for X Wing. Yes, when they were releasing eighty dollars ships, and now we have a two hundred dollars ship. There you go.
1: Well, I guess as long as people keep buying them, the Empire will continue to grow their Imperial <laughs> Navy. There. All right, Anthony. So one of the things I wanted to talk about was something that coming into the con, I was a little kind of like depressed about, which was. It didn't seem like there was anything mind-blowing at the con. And, you know, there are certainly excellent games at the con, and we were really excited to see that, but, you know, there seemed to be, like, moments when you go to Gen Con that you expect to see, like, the rushing of the crowds coming in, um, but it didn't seem like there was anything epic in any specific spot. You know, we talked about roots selling out, but, for example, FFG, they didn't have a crazy line throughout the convention, which is you know, a standard for Gen Con.
0: Yeah, yeah. Every year, so we we generally get in a little bit early because we have the press passes so we can walk around and see how long these lines are. And the Fantasy Flight line, even in the early crowd, is usually full up. And this year, I don't think that line ever got past two rows, Um, at least not that I saw. And, you know, they didn't have anything big, no big releases. They had X-Wing 2.0, I think was it. Sure. But... That was one. Simon. their line was usually a little bit longer as well. And they had a few new releases, but those sold out so fast sure. that there's no reason to get in that line. So there were certainly games people rushed for. There was a lot of lines. Let's not... There's a lot of lines. Yeah, But there was no like one or two publishers that just was pulling in everybody. There was no Twilight Imperium 4 release like last year sure. where you had 500 people in line trying to get that game. It was uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you always wanna see that big thing. You wanna know what the big <laughs> huge thing is, and you know, if you pay to come to a con like this, sometimes you wanna get the big huge thing. So sure. there there wasn't like that one home run rock star game that we can say won everything this
1: year. Sure. I guess if we're gonna talk about, you know, big rock star moments, the probably the biggest was the announcement from Fantasy Flight Games that Richard Garfield was coming out with a game. Now, Richard Garfield, as you know from Magic, which is probably the most epic game of all time, announced that a new game was coming out that was going to be similar but different in a lot of ways, at least as far as he was concerned, taking out the secondary market here. And that is KeyForge. Talk about that, Anthony.
0: Yeah, so when we first read about this, it was... Hard to wrap your head around it, which I guess is what he was going for. And that's what Magic the Gathering was when it first came out. People couldn't really wrap their head around the idea of a card game with thousands of cards that you could somehow mesh together and play against each other. Um, so KeyForge is a sealed deck game. Every deck is unique. There are trillions and trillions of combinations. And they have you can actually go and read his designer diaries about this on uh, Board Game Geek. But he's talking about the algorithm that they built for this to try to build these decks so that they're competitive with each other. And admitting that some of them are going to be better than others, because of course they are. Sure. Um, but the basic idea is you buy a $10 deck, that's your deck, you don't change it, you can't change it, you register it in the app so that it's logged online, and that everybody knows what it is, and then you play with that deck. Mm-hmm. And the goal here, like you said, is to get rid of the secondary market. Yes. It's kind of Richard Garfield's big regret, I think, with Magic, is... That there's such a huge secondary market to the game that people buy and sell cards, and some things are worth hundreds of dollars, and you pay to win, basically. Sure. Um, and he kind of wants to take that out of the game. And so we have Keyforge. And at first it was like, how could this possibly work? You read a little bit more about it, I guess it makes a little more sense. You could have two decks where there's only one card difference. That's sure. That's the nature of the beast. Um, they released a set number of copies of these to the people who went to their in-flight report we unfortunately could not go to the in-flight report so we do not have them and we will not be talking about it anytime soon um but there are some out in the wild some people are playing them you can find videos on youtube it i'm interested to see how this does sure there will absolutely still be a secondary market though yes i don't care what he says like yeah people are gonna have a deck it does well they're done with the game they sell it on ebay but it is a. Uh, it was definitely the the big moment for me of, of the con
1: yeah, I, I absolutely. And I, I think this is one of the things that's kind of probably pumped new life into card games within the board game industry. They were kind of languishing in some senses. LCGs have done really well. But this is something a little bit different. And once again, just kind of like the Superstar Destroyer maybe just brings people eyeballs back into board gaming to see what's going on. So it's interesting to see how this plays out. I believe they were saying quarter one of 2019 this will actually hit the streets. So you'll have to wait a little bit before you get these your hands on these decks. Uh, highly recommend not going secondary market for these decks because they're selling for extremely high prices, but I think we were talking about $10 kind of base price for it.
0: Yeah, they're going to be 10 bucks a piece. If you go to eBay right now, they're going for 70 because people want them early. Don't, yeah. do, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, you have
1: plenty of time, and you're not going to find anyone really to play with either. So hold on. There's going to be a quadrillion number of opportunities yeah. <laughs> with, with this algorithm to play a, a really, really fun game. So definitely something to take a look at coming up but you know talking about you know card games and the massive amount of appeal that they have they also have that online so this year was something different something that we really were surprised about and something Anthony and I are big fans of
0: yeah so we knew blizzard was gonna be at the show um occasionally they say somebody's gonna be at a show you get there and they have like a tiny little booth where they're demoing something in the corner yeah like Fantasy Flight at PAX last year sure you're like come on guys (laughs) but uh, Blizzard came big they had a massive booth in the corner of the gaming hall presumably picked up and transplanted from BlizzCon because it was a massive multimedia booth by far the most expansive and best looking booth at the con putting everybody else to shame but in the middle of nowhere in the middle of nowhere it looked hilarious we have some photos up yeah uh And it's like when you take a piece of the multi-million dollar cons that are run for video games and you drop it in the middle of a board game con, it looks a little silly. Yeah. But it was still pretty fun to go over there and sit in the Hearthstone Inn and buy a bunch of stuff from Blizzard, because why not? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was cool. They didn't really have much to do in terms of playing games. Sure. Just a couple demos. Uh, It was definitely more of a we're here to be here kind of a thing. And you can buy stuff. Yeah. And they sold a lot of stuff sure and,
1: and I, I gotta say too they did a great job managing the lines there was practically no line there in entire convention even though a lot of people were buying things and their staff were tremendously helpful and friendly and they did an outstanding job there overall all right they, so you know there was a lot of great stuff as far as publishers and designers were concerned and as we said for us, it's it's very much an industry trade day, so we were kind of going through and talking to everybody. But there's a lot of gaming going on, and probably the biggest award kind of goes to Gen Con here because they did something fantastic, which was have 24 hours of gaming. And especially with the stadium, which is probably, I'm trying to think of a more epic situation, maybe the
0: Coliseum in Rome, yeah. <laughs> but a really epic situation to be able to play gaming in. Yeah, absolutely. You could play in the stadium 24 hours. If you had a ticket to the board game library, it was open all day, every day until four o'clock on Sunday. Um, the, the gaming hall itself, the one in the convention center was also open 24 hours. And there was a lot of tables. There was It was relatively easy to find somewhere to sit down and play because all these places that are usually reserved for tournaments and demos were empty and you could sit and knock something out. Um, there was a couple of companies that had games available that you could take and play. Special shout out to Cosmos for making their full library available to just grab if you wanted on the honor system. Yeah. So they've always done
1: a great job, and it was it was nice. We got to meet a lot of people and just actually sit down and play some games. You know, when you play games enough in this industry, at some point, if it, if you're not already, you you become a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> so anyone walks by and they're like, I don't know how to play that. I'm like, all right, here, sit down. I'll show you how to how to kind of play that game. So. Got to play with some new people, which were really great. And got to see them again and again, which was a lot of fun. And just overall, a really nice experience. And I think you need to have that at a con. I think any con it doesn't have that 24-hour gaming opportunity and that general open space. I mean, if you have to ticket something, go ahead and ticket it. But you should really just have open space because sometimes you just can't get your hands on a ticket. And it's an odd hour and you just want to go game. So... Uh, kudos for them to having a number of different spaces open and available. And thanks to Cosmos and I think Double Exposure had some board games available to demo and play throughout the convention. All right, and we touched upon this a little bit, and obviously we'll talk about it a little bit more in the future, but Stronghold Games, our friend Stephen Bonacore, his company, we've talked about many of his games, obviously we're a big fan of him and his games, especially Terraforming Mars, Went in with a merger with Indie Board and Cards and what they're doing some change about as far as about how that's going to play out. Indie Boards and Cards is kind of kind of going to be the overseer for most of that. Uh, our friend Bonacore is going to be the spokesperson for the, the company. Still run the day-to-day operations for them. But there's going to be some changes and it's always good to see that board gaming's growing. And this is just another kind of symptom of the industry doing really well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know anytime something like this happens people get a little concerned. It's not a small hobby industry anymore. It's a billion dollar industry, and so this is the kind of stuff you're going to see. Um, some moves better than others. We don't really know the details on this one, but it's we're seeing growth, we're seeing new opportunities, we're seeing, you know, things moving forward in the in the industry. So, you know, all the best for everybody involved. Yeah, some some good and bad to it. It's nice
1: to have that little family kind of style thing with the little companies and Obviously, have growth, so you can't have all of it, unfortunately. But uh, and I guess probably the biggest release news of the convention came at the towards the end of the convention, and that was from Restoration Games, first part, uh, Return to Dark Tower. Yes. So, depending on your age, this may mean absolutely nothing to you, but <laughs> Restoration Games kind of has been doing these reprints of classic games, doing slight updates to them, obviously graphically doing some great stuff, but keeping a lot of the old flavor of the game. Dark Tower was one of these original kind of 80s games where you literally had this big plastic black tower with these kind of push-button situations, and it was really well-known because it had this really booming voice that told you what was going on. But it was a very, very simple game. They've already done Fireball Island, which was their kickstarted, which did extremely well. This is probably going to do extraordinarily well. I'm really looking forward to seeing how they actually end up with having a Dark Tower and incorporating the new
0: technology. Yeah, do we get an actual tower or are they going to do an app? I think you have to do a tower.
1: Right? I hope it's a tower. If it's an app, I'm going to be very, very disappointed. I think a lot of people will be very disappointed. Yeah. And I guess finally, in the other side of crazy, explosive news, is... Something that nobody expected, which is Machikaro, which we all know because we've covered that a bunch of times, it's a nice gateway game, is getting a legacy treatment from Rob Davio. Anthony, if you can contain this in your mind for more than a second, why don't you tell us about what we'll probably be expecting here?
0: (laughs) I have no idea. I mean, the legacy trend is everywhere right now. Werewolf Legacy, for example, is a game we'll be reviewing in the next couple of weeks. Everybody wants to do it. Everybody's slapping a name on it. Rob Davio is everywhere helping everybody turn all their franchises into Legacy. This is just the most recent. I don't know how this will work. You're building out a city, I guess, so you're going to be saving some points of the city. Maybe upgrading dice. I don't know. Like, Yeah, it seems a little odd. I mean, Legacy tends to be the heavier end of board gaming
1: where it really takes you throughout a whole campaign. And gateway games like Machikoro, which is solidly a gateway game almost a big bo- big box store game seems to be the opposite of this so what happens when you take a gateway
0: game and make it into a legacy game i'm not really sure here yeah yeah and how much legacy is it like is sure. this going to be a game designed for gamers where you're pushing machikoro into a higher level or is it bringing legacy components down into a big box stores style of game
1: yeah i don't know i mean the only thing i can think of that was kind of close to this is uh forbidden fruit from mm-hmm. stronghold games which basically had you playing out multiple multiple decks where the game kind of had a legacy element i mean kind of had a legacy element but it was still a gateway game
0: yeah that fabled system is it's a good analog i think but it's uh none, nothing's permanent it doesn't grow over time you can always reset and go back i don't sure. know we'll see how it goes there's there was a ton of announcements at the show, too. We obviously haven't covered nearly all of them. we got press releases every day. Wondering, who is doing this all this work when they're all out on the show floor? <laughs> people back in the office releasing press releases. But um, this was one of the odder ones. Yeah, so we will have
1: the continuing updates, all of the information, all of the fallout, all of the new announcements from Gen Con. Obviously, there'll be a lot more stuff coming out over the next couple days and weeks as people kind of get their hands on these games and let us know what's coming up for future releases. I think one of the biggest things that we heard throughout the convention was that there were going to be a whole bunch of new Kickstarters and a whole bunch of new games that will be releasing late October. I think this is the first time I heard about all these releases kind of heading later. So expect a lot of games. Expect a lot of you know reviews upcoming. We're packing the car in mere moments to get back to our regularly scheduled programming studio and editing booth. So stick with us. These games will be hitting the table hard and fast. We'll have continuously updates on Board Gamers Anonymous. And every night is game night. So stick with us. In the meantime, don't forget to check out patreon.com backslash BGA for brand new episodes on our Patreon-backed episodes. So if you're not getting enough BGA already... Check those out. Obviously, Anthony will have brand new articles, as well as I will, on BoardGamersAnonymous.com. So some of those games will get that treatment. And obviously, if the game needs some visual components to it as well, these games will go up on YouTube. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next week, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table.